Hi there and welcome to another one of my podcasts. My last podcast was an unusual one because it followed me around Europe. We're back to a normal podcast now. This should be going up on the 1st of January and hopefully by the time this goes online I will have finished doing my dreaded annual income tax returns. However, I'm recording this before Crimble so that's all ahead of me as I speak. I recently acquired an interesting recording. It's of a soprano that I've always had great regard for. Her real name was Josefina Huguet. At least I think that's the way it's pronounced because she was Spanish and I'm not really any good at Spanish. It could be Huguet or Huguet, I don't know. It's H-U-G-U-E-T. In later years, in some of her recordings, because it was regarded as being better for you Italian. She's listed as Giuseppina Uguay, but I think let's use her real name, Josefina. She was born in Spain in 1871, and she survived until 1951. But to my knowledge, there were no recordings of her after World War One. At the age of 20-odd, she began to make a name for herself as what they used to call a light soprano, or we might call a coloratura, and she gradually got to sing in more and more prestigious opera houses, finally making quite a furore when she sang Lacme in Milan in the mid-90s. That's 1890s, of course. Because of this, she was soon asked by HMV, or as it probably was back then, the gramophone company, to make recordings. And among other things, she recorded with such luminaries as Fernando Lucia and another tenor called Giorgini, both of whom were red-label artists. But for some reason or other, she was always on the black label, which was a colour preserved for people whose records would not cost you so much. In other words, she wasn't regarded as a real star, which I don't think does her justice. However, she recorded very early on, and I recently acquired a recording of her very early on, so early, in fact, that the record was still a 7-inch record, because those were the sizes of early, early records. 10 inches was already a long-playing record by around 1900, 1901. This is a recording of her singing the famous aria O Luce di Quest'Anima, with, of course, just piano because orchestras hadn't appeared on record yet, and this is recorded, as far as I know, in 1902. I think, perhaps today, collectors are beginning to pick up on how good she was, but she wasn't, I don't think, appreciated by record companies at the time, although she did have quite a reasonable career and sang with all sorts of people. I also discovered recently that, apparently, a book, that she wrote about the technicalities of opera singing became quite a well-thought-of textbook, if you will, for singers in more recent decades. Be that as it may, let's listen to the voice herself. She's always in tune. Her phrasing is always very musical. And as I said before already, I think she's very underrated. So I commend her highly to you. Here she is, Josefina Huguet. Thank you. 
And now for something which is a total contrast. Over the years, I've probably played you quite a few great jazz pianists, starting with people like James B. Johnson and Earl Hines and so forth. But there was a group of jazz pianists, I suppose you'd call them, who were different. They weren't part of that whole story. And that's because they specialized in one thing only, and that was playing the blues, usually in the form of a boogie-woogie. I'm going to play you one of these now. His name was Mead Lux Lewis. He was called Lux because when he was a kid, he had a nickname of the Duke of Luxembourg. How he got that, I don't know, but there you go. He was born in Chicago and was the son of one of those guys who worked on the trains, a Pullman porter. He spent part of his childhood in Louisville, Kentucky. He learned violin and piano and started playing in all the Chicago clubs and bars and so forth but he still needed a day job for a while and he worked in various jobs including being part of a shovel gang however john hammond who did so much for jazz discovered him in late 1935 and he recorded and of course his most famous recording which you're about to hear is called the honky tonk train blues having got famous in that way this recording by the way is 1937 he pretty much became a full-time musician. He finally moved to New York and was part of what was known as the Boogie Woogie Trio together with Pete Johnson and Albert Ammons. And then he lived in California and used that as the base of his many tours from then on. Sadly, he died in a car crash after a gig at the White House restaurant in Minneapolis, 1964, as I say, so that cut short what seemed to have been an ongoing career, all through playing Boogie Woogie, because blues fans are blues fans, and if you play the blues and you play it well, you can get work for the rest of your life, as indeed he did. His brand of Boogie Woogie was very recognisable, and this is an iconic piece of Boogie Woogie, the honky-tonk train blues. Meet Lux Lewis. Thank you. 
Now, in the world of musical, one tends to think that everybody was some sort of comedian. This isn't so. It really was a variety show, and there were all sorts of acts that could come on some skill-based, some musical, all sorts. One of the stars was a lady who was born in 1887, and her original name was Gertrude Asbury, and she was born in Stoke-on-Trent. When she was four, four, mind you, she joined a group called the Royal Gypsy Children, and by six years old, she was performing all over the place, and I believe she first went professional when she was just eight. By the time we got to 1900, she was well known enough that she was earning £100 a week, and to put this in context, her father, who was a sort of foreman at a pottery, would earn that sort of money in a year. Because she'd been part of this gypsy children thing, she had changed her name, or she was known at any rate, by a completely different name, Gertie Gitana, which is a word for a gypsy. She was apparently multi-talented. She could act, sing, yodel, tap dance. And because she was still tiny, as I understand it, she must always have kept her somewhat childlike appearance, which must have been part of her appeal. By World War I, she was such a big name that she was a sort of forces sweetheart. And wherever she went and performed on stage, it would lead to a completely full house. That's how famous she was. Obviously, as the years went by, she was less famous. And she retired at one point, only to reappear after World War II in a company of people who were like the old-timers, and I believe that they appeared at the Royal Variety Show just after World War II. She died in 1957 at the age of 69. Some of the songs that she sang remain in our knowledge, even if her name is now faded. One of these songs was actually an American song, and it's been sung by all sorts of people in different ways, and it's called Nellie Dean. There's an old mill by the stream. Nellie Dean. It's been made fun of, it's been done in all sorts of styles, but she had this song as a sort of theme tune, and she recorded it before 1910, and that's what I'm going to play for you now. So, here is Gertie Gitana's definitive version of Nellie Dean.
Now, as I speak, right now, the Ukraine is facing a terrible war with Russia that they never asked for. And, of course, the Palestinians in Gaza are facing bombing from Israel with no means of defending themselves. But in 1940, it was London. This was the worst, the nadir of World War II. We now know that we won in the end, but that was five years in the future back then. In 1940... Nazi Germany had overtaken pretty much all of Europe. There was sinking British shipping. This was the time when we'd managed to rescue British forces from Dunkirk. And we had just about won the Battle of Britain, stopping any invasion of these shores. We were a year away from the USA joining in the war. So it was that period of Britain stands alone. Naturally, Germany wanted to ram this home and was hoping that with a bit of propaganda, the morale of the British people would be destroyed. One of the ways in which they tried to do this was through a strange orchestra known as Charlie and his Orchestra. Charlie was Charlie Schwedler, about whom I know very little, except that he was a pretty naff singer. And he would sing the lyrics of famous American and British songs, and then the second verse would replace the normal lyrics with propaganda lyrics telling the British people how badly they were doing and that Germany was about to win, etc., etc. What I find interesting about this orchestra is that it was a very, very good band. One wonders, one doesn't know, of course, whether the people who took part in this recording were actually interested in the propaganda side of this, or whether they were just enjoying playing some jazz, and they played it pretty well, to be honest. The track I've chosen is their version of Stormy Weather, which was, of course, written by a Jewish songwriter, whether they realise that, I don't know. And they play the song as written, first of all, and then do a whole thing about how British ships are being sunk by... German planes and actually by U-boats at the time. Of course, this didn't work because they didn't understand the British mentality who would listen to this and just laugh. That's the way British people were in those days particularly. However, the records are fascinating. Here is one of these recordings and I commend it to you just for its interest, its historical interest and in fact the musicality of the orchestra. And you may find the second chorus lyrics interesting in terms of, as I say, history. In any case, here is Charlie Schwedler trying to sing, and this is one of the legendary Charlie and his orchestra tracks. I believe this one comes from 1940. <laughs> in the sky stormy weather since my gal and I ain't together keeps raining all the time life is fair gloom and misery everywhere stormy weather just can't put my poor self together I'm weary all the time, the time. I'm weary all the time. When she walked away, the blues walked in and met me 
When she pays away, all rocking chair will met me. All I do is pray the Lord above will let me walk in the someone's car and go on. Everything I had has gone stormy weather since my gal and I in together. Keep raining all the time. Keep raining all the time. Here's Mr. Churchill's latest song. Don't know why I cannot blockade the sky in stormy weather. Since my ships and the German planes got together, I'm beaten every time. Life is bare, gloom and misery everywhere, stormy weather. Just can't keep my poor ships together. They're sinking all the time. Oh, blimey, they're sinking all the time. When I walked into Norway, the Germans came along and met me. My hair has turned to gray now that the French are against me. All I do is call my Royal Navy for action to attack French ships in their peaceful bay. Can't go on. Even my truest friends are gone. Nasty weather. Just can't keep my poor self together. I'm beaten all the time. I'm beaten all the time. Now, earlier in this podcast, I played your recording of, I know I'm told the correct pronunciation is, Josefina Uget. And she was a Spanish singer who I think should have been on the red label more often than she was. She was mainly what they call a black label artist, as I mentioned before, the cheaper label. Another Spanish singer who was only on black label, HMV and gramophone, and the American equivalent, which was Victor Blue Label, was another Spanish singer who this time was a baritone, and his name was Innocencio Navarro. For some reason or other, even today, collectors seem to want mostly Russian and Italian singers, and next on the list would be German and French ones. English singers, apart from some specialists, tend to come lower down still. But bottom of the list somehow, Spanish-speaking singers. I don't know why. It's certainly not true in recent decades, because... Two out of the three tenors were Spanish-speaking. But back then, although there were some great Spanish singers, people like Miguel Fleta, Florencio Constantino, and so on, quite a few somehow didn't have the reputation of singers from those other countries. Of course, also there were a lot of singers who never really had an international career but were content to sing in their own country. And they, again, tended not to be known as much as some of the others. One of these is Innocencio Navarro. He seems to have specialised in Spanish operettas known as Azuelas, and he also sang songs, but he did have a small operatic career as well. 
I'm trying to find something out about him, but even online there seems to be virtually nothing. My guess is that he was born around 1890, because he seems to appear on the scene in a couple of years, maybe before the beginning of World War I. All of his records seem to be in the period, say, between 1914 and 1919. I can't find anything after or before those years. The voice is really impressive. It's, if you like, and this is an insult really, he's a sort of poor man's Ruffo, but a fine singer. And as I've often said, if he were around today, he'd probably be a superstar. The song I've chosen for him is indeed a song and not an operatic aria. And I think he's singing it in Spanish, although really it's a Neapolitan song that quite a few tenors sang at that time. It's called Maria Marie. This was recorded in 1915. My copy isn't in great condition, but I've cleaned it up as well as I can. So I hope that you'll enjoy the half-forgotten voice of Innocencio Navarro. Maria Marie, 1915. Oh, 
Well now, after somebody pretty much forgotten, let me play you a track of one of the biggest names of her time, and a name which is still known today. I often use the life of Caruso as the definition of one of the celebrities of his day, and also defines particular generation. He was born in 1873 and died in 1921. The lady of whom I'm going to play a recording now was born in 1870 and died in 1922, so pretty much the same period. But she certainly wasn't an opera singer, nor was she born in Italy. Hoxton these days is a very posh area, it's been gentrified, but even when my late father was born there in 1916, it was a pretty much down-at-heel, dodgy area, and must have been even more so in 1870. But that's when Matilda Wood was born. You probably don't know that name, Matilda Wood. That's because her stage name was something quite different. She was known, of course, as Mari Lloyd. For those of you new to my podcast, you can scroll down and hear every single previous podcast that I've done over the last 10-15 years, and you will find other tracks that I've put up of Murray Lloyd, but not this one. So let's just give you a brief idea of her life. She was born, as I said, in Hoxton. She was performing pretty Early on, in fact, she used to like to take part in performances with her sisters. By the time she was 14, she was making a name for herself. And within 10 years, she'd become a big name on the musical stage. But not only on the musical stage, but also in productions that we call pantomimes. She was a big star. Part of the way in which she became famous was the fact that she often sang songs that were very suggestive and for that time really perhaps too suggestive for posh people. I think several times she was prevented from being in the Royal Variety Show because it was deemed too, oh no, salacious, we can't have her on the bill sort of thing. Nevertheless, Murray Lloyd became just about the biggest name in music hall at that time and she carried on being that famous into world war one after world war one she began to look her age and probably more so because one gets the feeling that she didn't live a very good life she married badly she was abused by several men in her life she probably drank too much etc etc and her popularity waned pretty quickly after world war one And although she'd made lots and lots of money, she tended to live beyond her means, and she gave money to people sometimes who didn't deserve it, etc., etc. So that when she died in 1922, failed kidney, heart, goodness knows what, there wasn't much money left. What she has left, however, is her recorded legacy. Like Caruso, she didn't live to make recordings through the microphone. And her early recordings, at least the versions that I've heard of them in 1903, are not very good in sound quality but she made a lot of recordings around 1912 when she was probably at the height of her fame so here's another one of them and it's called morning promenade and you'll hear the sort of suggestive lyrics that this song shows and goodness knows what she did on stage while she was singing it whatever it was it made her very famous so here is once again Mari lloyd singing morning promenade in the 
garden long ago. Jockey's a fashion. Fashion's been a pattern. She wore a dress that is messed by the street. Still, every season, all changes for each. She's there if she came to town. Oh, what would Mother Eve think of my new Parisian gown? As I take my morning promenade, quite a fashion card on the promenade. Now I don't mind nice boys staring hard. If it satisfies their desire, do you think my dress is a little bit? Just a little bit? No, not too much of it. If it shows my shape just a little bit, that's a little bit the boys admire. Mary Lloyd, dead at 52. Actually, her father outlived her by almost 20 years. He lived till, I think, 90 years old, over 90. Be that as it may, I'm going to be 77 at the end of this month. You'll be hearing this on the first day of the new year. Hopefully, by then, I will just about finished my dreaded income tax returns. In the meantime, I have to give you one of my tracks, as I always do at the end of every podcast. This time I'm going to give you a bossa nova that I wrote a couple of years ago when I had cracked my vertebra and found it difficult to get around. I wrote a lot of songs that year, though. It's called A Heart Too Cold. I hope you enjoy it. In the meantime, let me say, for those of you who didn't get the Christmas presents that you really wanted, why not get some 78s? and start a fantastic hobby. 
If you contact me at spats47 at ntlworld.com, you can look through a list of my doubles, and I would be delighted to sell some of them to you at a fraction of what dealers charge for the same records. Uh, do get in touch, and of course, do tell your friends to go online to Erlokin's Gramophone Show or Erlokin dot blogspot dot co dot uk either one will get this podcast and let's have as many people as we can enjoying all these fantastic recordings from yesteryear in the meantime i say au revoir and a happy good new year ciao for now fall in love A heart too cold A heart too old But still I seek that special friend Who'll offer love without an end And looks for me A heart too old And yet my eyes are on a star A dream that whispers from afar Of what could be Of what could be Once so long ago I believed I held the world here in my hand My happy day But it wasn't so Everything I had soon melted away Somewhere above And then you'll know that you were wrong Once more my heart will sing its song Of love
true somewhere above And then I'll show you to be wrong Once more my heart will sing its song 